Um, this morning we are very, very thankful to be able to continue in our series entitled Summer Stories. We started this conversation a number of weeks ago, and it's really opened our eyes to God's desire for relationship, that each one of us has a story that is being written, and that Jesus is desiring relationship with each and every one of us. See, God sent His Son so that He could make a way for us back to Him. And God freely offers us an invitation to relationship, but we sometimes get the roles reversed on who's pursuing who. We tend to maybe believe that we're actually the ones going after God, and we're actually the ones pursuing Him, and we're actually the ones that are engaging Him in relationship when all too often, it's actually the opposite. God has per- been pursuing you and me uh, from the time time began. And His desire is intimate relationship with His creation. See, the reality is Jesus reaches to us and offers us freedom and a transformed life. And as we embrace the power of a story today, I'm grateful to hear the stories of people's lives changed and transformed. Last week we had the amazing opportunity to hear Ken Houston's incredible story of, of God's presence and his power and his protection in his life. And if you missed it, I would, I would uh, encourage you to jump online and, and, and tune into that message because it's truly an amazing story. Or I'm sure Ken would love to tell you uh, that story himself. But today I'm excited to welcome up Greg and Eve Dufour. Uh, to the stage to share their stories of freedom and the purpose they found in Jesus. Would you welcome Greg and Eve as they come this morning? This series has been amazing because we get to hear people's stories. And so today we get to hear a little bit from Greg and Eve on the, the journeys that they've taken throughout life and the ways in which God has continued to uh, to lead and guide them and, and protect them and watch over them. And, and uh, so this morning, I, was, I just want to ask uh, Greg, Eve, if you would share a little bit of your story and, and, and how you came to know Jesus and what that journey has looked like for each of you. I've been elected to start out. My name is Greg DeFore. Um, you could probably want to refer to me after this as Israel and Israeletta. Uh, because we took 40 years to do what should have taken 11 days, if you're familiar with that in Exodus. Um, I'm the oldest son of Terry Numa DeFore, who many of you would know and love, and I'm a result of prayers, earnest prayers before God from Terry Numa DeFore and probably some brothers and other people that know me. A prayer that said, whatever it takes, God. And sometimes God does whatever it takes. And a bit of my sharing this morning, I was raised... Attending church, I surrendered my life to Jesus when I was 12 and was baptized, and I had a love for music, and so I brought that into the church, even, you know, as a youth, and it was always a place for me, and I was active in doing that, and so I kind of grew up playing music and attending church and uh, got more active in my youth group in high school and really began to also, in addition to having a love for God, I believe, real distractions from life. And I found myself beginning to cross lines. And um, sometimes I write songs, and a song I want to write one of these days, and I still haven't yet, is lines we cross become fences. And I allowed some fences to get put up in my life that kind of kept me in bondage, kept me trapped in some places, even though I attended church, even though uh, at times I believe God even used me you know, in spite of myself. And um, so my world got rocked, though, about uh, when I was 17. I got in a very serious car accident, and um, the doctors told my folks that I probably had less than 50-50 chance to live. I had serious head injuries and a disengaged eye down here on my on my head, and they said that if, if I lived, that I would probably have some blindness, some cognitive damage, um, the mental challenges I might have, they couldn't even know at that point. And uh, in the hospital for quite some time, months perhaps, too, too soon to tell. Um, well, 
uh, we were members of Albany First Assembly at that time, and the prayers went up, and a pastor was there even that morning on a Sunday morning before church when I was at a Salem hospital praying and believing. And um, there was a real sense of God's hand working in this. And yes, and in two weeks, I was out of the hospital with 2020 vision. Um, there were some things I still needed to work through, and the more you know me, you'll know that there are a few mental fahus in me, but, um, but God is faithful, and he brought beautiful healing to me. And as you can imagine, I was pretty excited about the Lord when I began to have these stories told to me because I really didn't have memory of what happened. You kind of had to tell me the story. And uh, so I would uh, had some chances to, as a youth, even to go to some youth groups and share my testimony and things. And I began to sense a call of God in my life. And um, as I began to get through that year, still even uh, this sense of not a total surrender to God was going on inside of me in the midst of all this. The, there was my heart that was holding on to things. And, and there were areas of, of sin, as you can imagine, in a, in a young man's life that uh, was remaining in my life by choice, I suppose, when it's all said and done. And that kind of fought through that, and then I thought, well, you know, by my freshman year of college, I'm, I'm going to go to Bible school. God's going to certainly deliver me and do great things in my life because I'm going to be a servant of God. And I went there, and this thing called sexual addiction and problems that come through sexual sin and immorality were even greater, if you can imagine, a Bible school than, than any other time. And there were some real problems I had and, and the inability to... Give it to God. Well, let me pause right here because there's something I forgot to say. God is faithful. I want you to get something from what I say today in this talking quick testimony I'm trying to do. God is faithful. And he who's begun a good work, it's not always clean. It's not always tidy. Sometimes it's messy, but he completes that work. And so I went into Bible school and left Bible school going, man, I don't want to do this. And, uh, and I kind of, just said, God, I'm just not open to that right now. So I came home, married my high school sweetheart, still attended church, still did things that I, you know, music and some of this, but still an unsurrendered heart. And more things surfaced. Uh, a passion for alcohol. Uh, so alcoholism became a huge part of my life. And it was messy and it was ugly. And it drug through most of my adult life in and out. Um, sexual addiction, pornography still was a, a present place in my life. I'm I went to church even. Can you believe it? And that stuff was going on in my life. Well, I was being sarcastic there. I think, you know, there's lots of problems that people have with that. But I just kind of festered on through that and was unwilling to really surrender or believe that God could change me. And this kind of continued in my life till about 2002 when I just said, you know what, I've had it. And I just quit going to church, and I just quit turning to God, and I just quit being anything Christian, really. Uh, occasionally would attend because I had to, but God was not the Lord of my life at all, and I walked away from him, and God is faithful. God rocked my world again, and at that point in time, uh, my, 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 I began to idolize my family. I have four great boys. I had a marriage that survived all this chaos for 30-some years, and I took a lot of pride in that. One day, my wife then said to me, I'm done. I'm done with you, and I'm gone, and I'm leaving, and she did. Well, I really came to God earnestly again and said, God, <laughs> you're going to fix this, right? I mean, you don't believe in divorce, and then all blah, blah, blah. You know what? It didn't happen that way, and God found me in that time in... Uh, I confessed my alcoholism, not that I even needed to. Anybody who knew me knew it was a big thing going on. <laughs> I mean, I was a drunk, okay? And um, God delivered me. I can tell you that from, what was that about? May of 2017, God's delivered me from the use of alcohol. And um, so I'm divorced now. I moved to Albany. And I got about six, you know, anyway, I don't want to go there. Um, God, in that next year after I moved here, brought an incredible person into my life. 
Evelyn, as some of you know, and uh, yeah, we both were pinching ourselves going, this is, feels too right. This can't, I mean, how could this be going this quickly? And it just did, and it was a fit, and I'm telling you, it's been an amazing thing. But you know what? Even my, my unsurrendered heart to God, I drug it into that marriage too. And you know what? I still struggled with sexual addiction and some th- sexual sins and pornography and things that I would not surrender to God. Not that I, I just couldn't for whatever reason and or didn't want to or put it off. I always telling myself someday, someday I'm going to get that fixed. Well, and that had been my theme all through life. You know, one of these days I'm going to straighten it all up and everything's going to be okay. And sometime in this last year, I just really came to the end of myself again and, and was just so frustrated because I'd said, God, this is just an ugly mess that's only going to get ugly down the road when you don't fix me. And I said, I cannot do it. And I just surrendered. And I became to identify that the Spirit of God is alive and active in our hearts and lives here and now. And I took a hold of that. And I reached it. And I said, Lord, I can't do this. You need to. And as it says in the Scripture, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I was good with the forgiving part. But and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I began to allow God to purify my heart and surrender and say, God, I'm not able. And somehow in this reaching out to God with big steps of faith. He did it. He changed me. And then it was like he picked me up and he put me over here. And that thing was gone, just like alcohol is. He picked me up and he put me over here. And it was gone. And all I can tell you is it's happened. And it was the deliverance and the freedom that God gave. I wished it would have been an easy road, but it wasn't. But God is faithful, and that's what's brought me here today. I'll just leave it at that. Yes, and I've got notes here on my phone in case, because I don't remember things very well, so I might refer to my notes a little bit, but uh, my name's Eve Dufour, and um, I was raised, uh, I was born in 1958 um, to my parents. My mom um, was secretary to the mayor, had a very high-profile job, um, and my dad was on the... um, the ground floor of the space program and ended up working his entire life in the space program. And they had very, you know, these jobs were important jobs and um, they liked to keep the family secret secret. And my mom was an alcoholic and my father was extremely abusive, especially to me, for reasons are still unknown, but um, especially to my mom and me, but um, yeah. Anyway, see how I get off track. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, I was told the first time I remember um, about the family secrets that um, I was told by my father, if you ever tell the family secrets or what's going on right now, you're going to get sick and die. So um, this morning, before I shared my testimony in the 9 o'clock service, I just declared, and I'll declare again now, that Jesus is Lord. He is all-powerful. He never leaves me, and he never forsakes me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in in the world. So my story continues. The first time I did try to tell somebody, they contacted my parents and asked, are these things true? And of course my parents denied it and then I got into more trouble than I had been previously, so it was not a good experience. Um, At age 12, my dad started ritualistically beating me every single day from then until I was 17 and a half, which is when I moved out of my home. And But that started when I was 12 in 1970, and by 1972, I was having severe headaches, trouble turning my head without getting great big spots before my eyes. I was having a lot of problems. And so my mom took me to the doctor, and the doctor sent me to the neurologist. And this neurologist um, did a scan of my head and later told my mom, um, I've only seen this in Vietnam veterans who are returning, who have been in, in war um, combat. And your daughter's brainstem is, is like so swollen, and that is a result of constant fight or flight. 
Well, that's what was going on, constant fight or flight in my home. I had no relationship with God whatsoever in my younger years. My parents were atheists. My father even discipled me in atheism, taking me outside and looking at the stars and quoting Karl Marx, quoting Charles Darwin, and Christians were the worst of the whole bunch. So it, when I did have opportunity later on to come to know the Lord, it was really a battle for me because I thought that I was, all, you know, this is silly, but to use the word blasphemy, I was blaspheming my family by going into a Christian church, and yet that's exactly where I found myself in January of 1980. I had met a woman um, the year before, Kathy Mathis was her name, and she's related to Phil and Shirley Mathis. She's their sister-in-law, so <laughs> small world. Uh, but, but she was just wove Jesus into the conversation with me. She never took a hard approach with me. And she invited me to church. And when that opportunity did present itself, I did go. But I treated it like a science experiment. I looked around and I see if there was any difference between me, this smart person, and you fools who believed in Jesus Christ. So that was my first Sunday. The second Sunday I went, and I did go, went back to my observations, and I thought, these people are happy. And for the first time, I said a prayer that I didn't even realize was a prayer, and I said, well, I wish I was dumb too or foolish because at least these people are happy. So the next Sunday, I come to church, and two women get in front of the church and sing the song about um, God making all things beautiful in his time. And I thought, oh, how wonderful that would be if God did that for me. And then the next thing I knew, I heard in my head, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then my next thought was, what do I do with that? And so <laughs> I proceeded to say the sinner's prayer right there in the pew. Nobody knew, nobody had any idea that that was going on. But at, I came to the end of that prayer, and I saw demons come out of me. And this is a conservative Baptist church, so I was having evidence of the Holy Spirit's baptism right at the moment that I accepted Jesus into my heart. And so that was an interesting journey, too, in its own right. And <clears throat> what I want to say about my salvation is that I know that God doesn't do things all the time the same way when he comes to people and presents himself as the true and living God. But with me, he just spelled it out for me, and I needed that. I needed something clear that I knew that did not originate in my own thoughts, that I could just say, okay, this is definitely God speaking to me. And I want to just bullet point, because I know you're going to ask this question. I want to bullet point the things that God has delivered me from. He's delivered me from agoraphobia. He's delivered me from stuttering. He's delivered me from alcohol and drug abuse. And he has delivered me a great deal in my PTSD. I still struggle with that a little bit. That's still in my life. Um, I don't know what God's going to do with that, but I do know that it's very tolerable in my life at this point. And I just want to give the praise to the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Greg and Eve, before we let you go, what would you say to those who may be walking through a difficult season, a dark season, um, a season of struggle, a season of hopelessness, and they find themselves in that place saying, well, yeah, what is, what is, the, what is the reason for all of this? What would you say to those folks today? Well, like, as I said, God is faithful. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Just keep coming to him. If you have problems with addictions, whatever sort that may be, and it's a sin in your life, then you, you, can, you find a brother and a sister, and you confess with that person. You confess to the Lord Jesus Christ, because First John 9 is true. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And you do that with God and man, and then you just allow God. Uh, I got a pretty good book I've read. I can tell you about it. If you, if you want some advice about how to... God, for us to identify how God can and will fix the core, our heart in us. So allow God to change your heart. That sounds so cliche, 
but it is. I would say that you do need to press into the Lord. He is the only one that never fails us, that never gives up on us, that is always doing good in our lives. And his plans for us are not for evil, but for good all of our days. Um, one of my favorite verses is in Lamentations 3, 19, and it says, Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Great are the mercies of the Lord every morning. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And that's what he's been in my life. And um, so, yeah, really encourage people to seek out. Greg mentioned um, confessing to another, to, and that's we were, talked about that in James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Um, there's a lot to be said in confession to being broken before the Lord, but there's something very powerful in sharing it with a trustworthy individual who will not harm you further with their words, but will actually receive what you're saying, and, and, and then it kind of normalizes it almost, if that makes sense. We feel so alone, well, no matter what's going on, the enemy makes sure we feel so alone, in our, either in our suffering or in our addiction, whatever that may be, but we are not alone. Uh, we have God on our side. That's right. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Eve, for sharing your story today. Can we give them a hand? I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of courage to come up in front of a room like this and, and a, an online audience and, and share uh, the twists and turns of life, the trials, the hardships, the difficulties. And, and uh, I just thank you, uh, Greg and Eve, for your vulnerability, for your transparency, being willing to share your story, your journey with us to encourage us and challenge us to understand that God is a loving God who is always pursuing, who's always reaching, who's always desiring relationship with us. So thank you guys um, this morning. You know, as we turn our attention to Scripture, uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is that God is writing each and every one of our stories. And He desires that relationship. He desires that intimacy. He never gives up on us. He never sees us wander off and say, well, they're doing it again. He desires uh, to be in communion with us. And as we turn our attention to Scripture today, we're going to talk about a very popular story in the Bible. It's, it's probably more of a children's Bible story, but it's a lot more than that because it reveals the heart of God. It, it reveals the heart of God that it, it, as one that pursues after you and after me, one that wants to bring us into loving relationship with Him. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have your Bibles, you can jump on the Version Bible app and find our notes and scriptures there. But if you'd read with me, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, says, And Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that you see us in our lostness. You see us in our most vulnerable state. And God, you still desire to pursue us. You still desire to reach to us to bring us into relationship, to bring us into your purposes for our lives, Lord. And, and so we ask today as you have 
done so many things in the lives of, of Greg and Eve and, as, and so many of our lives. Lord, we, we ask that you would remind us not only of your plan and purpose for our lives, but that we have the ability to reach those with your love, to show them how much you love them. God, we, we're grateful for your scripture, and we pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, church, today as we turn our attention toward this story, it's, it's, it's easy to, to get wrapped up in the story because it's a, a familiar one for those of you who have spent any time in the church. If, if you haven't, um, we look forward to unpacking this story. But, but our text today reveals the very reason why Jesus came. Verse 10, for, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was His sole purpose. Yes, Jesus came to, to die and to be resurrected on the third day, but his, his greatest mission on earth was to find those in their state of brokenness, in their state of hopelessness, in their state of struggle, and to reach out a hand. And, and He's still doing that today. He's still doing that in each and every one of our lives. And if, I'd like you to look at Zacchaeus' story and, and consider this simple thought. Jesus is desiring relationship with you and with me. And we may find ourselves curious enough to climb a tree or to peek over the fence or just to show up at church or tune in online. But the power and presence of God has been pursuing us since we took our first breath. The power of God has had a purpose and a plan for your life and for mine since we stepped foot on this earth. And these verses record one of the greatest stories that many of us were taught as children in Sunday school. For many of you, when I said the name Zacchaeus, you began to kind of hum in your heads the little song, Zacchaeus was a wee... Come on. Wee little man was he. He climbed up. You were all humming it, so just don't act like you weren't. But it's familiar for many of us. And as we see Jesus pursue relationship with Zacchaeus in this passage of Scripture, the question we should ask is what can we learn about his desire to know us, his desire to have relationship with us, and his desire for us to be known by him? And so there's a few things I think we should consider today. The first thing is this Jesus desires relationship. While many of us are still searching. See, Jesus shows up when we're still searching, when we're still confused, when we're still chasing our own dreams and desires in life, and we find ourselves in the most difficult of places. See, society is full of people who are in desperate search of truth, search of hope, and search of peace, and happiness, and purpose. And they're trying to find it in all different places and in all different pursuits and it's for that reason that jesus ministry was marked by constant and very personal interactions as he went at, throughout his ministry we see these interactions he has with people many like zacchaeus of course we 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 all love the big miracles the feeding of the five thousand and the, the calming of the storm and the turning of the water into wine and lazarus resurrection all of the wonderful miracles that, that Jesus performed. But some of his greatest miracles occurred in the personal, in relationship, in the interactions. The interactions he had with the twelve, the, the disciples that followed him throughout his ministry. The interactions he had with Mary and Martha, with, with the Samaritan woman at the well, and, and most cer certainly this interaction he has with Zacchaeus. And it's interesting, the most personal interactions that are recorded in Scripture that Jesus has are with who? The people that everyone looked down upon. The people that were despised by society. The woman caught in the act of adultery who's drug out to be stoned and Jesus comes alongside of her, begins to draw on the sand and say, for those of you who have no sin, cast the first stone. Jesus showed up in the story, in the context of those who were hurting and those who were broken. And Jesus understood the power of relationship. 
He understood the, the power of pursuing relationship before people saw a need for it. See, oftentimes, Jesus showed up. People were like, I don't really need your help. But that, that word relationship, that, that picture that we see throughout the Gospels, love your neighbor as yourself. How often do we come alongside of people in our neighborhood, in our, in our workplace, in our schools, and they, they don't even think they need hope or peace or strength. But in the midst of all that, they're still hurting. So the question becomes, do, do you have space? Do we have space in our lives to see the hurting and see the broken? What if we began to make space? What if we began to make space in our lives and our busy days to pursue relationship with people outside of our circle, people outside of our friend group, people outside of our little pod in, at work? What if we began to pursue people intentionally the way that Jesus did? See, Jack, Zacchaeus was, was not in Jesus' inner circle. He was not one of the twelve. He was not Jesus' beloved Zacchaeus was just a man who was curious about who this Jesus was. And Jesus went out of his way to engage Zacchaeus. Verses 5 and 6, it says, when, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. It's interesting, it doesn't say, hey Zacchaeus, I was thinking maybe we could hang out. I want to come to your house. No, Jesus' exact words were, I must stay at your house today. He wasn't really even asking. <laughs> That's the interesting part. See, Jesus didn't grab Zacchaeus and drag him off to the temple and say, Zacchaeus, your life's all jacked up. You are cheating people out of their, out of their, their money and we need to get you fixed. This is unacceptable behavior, and we need to get it fixed. That wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus met him exactly where he was, and at that moment in time said, I want to come to your house. I want to be with you. See, Jesus desires relationship while we still don't even see, see a need. And he desires to be with us. But Jesus also invites himself into our story. But we have to welcome him in. See, he invites himself into our context, but we still have to welcome him in to relationship. We still have to say yes. You ever looked up to somebody in life? Maybe a celebrity or a, an artist or somebody that you kind of go, oh man, I would love to meet so-and-so. I would love to share a meal with them. I just want to pick their brain. I just want to you know, maybe for some it's, you know, somebody like Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or, you know, Bono, you know, we love you too. For me, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice was my guy, right? We, we're big 49ers and Giants fans. Okay, there's no booze. That's beautiful. You guys are all with me. No, come on now. That, is, that does not please the Lord. But for me, it was, it was Jerry Rice, number 80 greatest wide receiver to ever play the game I was like man if I could just meet Jerry because we're on a first name basis Jerry Rice and I and so as the Lord would have it my senior year of college I'm graduating from college God makes the way and my wife Gretchen meets Jerry Rice in person Proceeds to give me a signed, autographed poster with a picture of him hugging her. <laughs> it's that close. But sometimes we look up to people and we say, if I could just meet. And that was Zacchaeus. He wanted, to, he wanted just to, to see Jesus. He just wanted to get a peek climbs up in this tree, and, and Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' context. He sees him up in the tree, and he says, I want to spend the day with you. And of course, Zacchaeus gladly accept, 
accepts his, his invitation to relationship. It's like, oh my gosh, he picked me. See, the Greek word that Luke uses to discuss what Jesus was going to do with Zacchaeus that day is meno. And the word means to remain, to abide, to sojourn, to tarry, to continue to be with, to remain as one to wait for. So the picture that's being painted here is an interaction and time spent together that was not quick, conversational, like, hey, let's go over to Chick-fil-A. That is the Lord's anointed food. Let's have the Chick-fil-A and just share a wonderful meal, and then we'll just kind of go our separate ways. No, that's not the picture that that Luke is, is painting here. He lingered. He stayed with, with Zacchaeus. He remained with him that day. In essence, they spent the day together. It wasn't this quick little moment. It wasn't sign this autograph and, and, and then just go on your way. See, Jesus could have chosen anyone in town that day. It's interesting that he picks the chief tax collector, the head IRS agent of the day. That's who Jesus picks. I'm going to hang out with that guy. And everybody's like, yeah, no. But why would, why would Jesus choose Zacchaeus? What did, what did he see in such a man? See, Jesus sees something of value in each and every one of us. Valuable enough to, to be willing to die on a cross. But are we willing to welcome into our heart's home? See, Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and, and they with me. We love that scripture. Right? We, we, we can see the painting that, that hung in our, in our houses when we were young with, with this beautiful GQ Jesus standing at the door knocking and the, the wonderful scripture is written in beautiful script and we go, oh, isn't that nice? He's knocking on the heart of our home. But Jesus is actually speaking to a number of churches in this chapter of Revelation and it ain't going well for some of them. This particular passage of Scripture, Jesus has just finished telling the church of Laodicea in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Awesome. Some translations actually say spew. Beautiful picture. And then he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It's like a big old emotional hug, isn't it? And then he says, so be earnest and repent. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Change your behavior. And then he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I will come in and sup with you, you with me. See, Jesus is pursuing relationship, but he says, you've got to repent. You've got to acknowledge your need of me. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. But we forget John 3.17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus is inviting us into relationship so that we can be saved. He's desiring that we would go out of our homes, into our workplaces, into our context, and share the love of Jesus so that nobody would be separated from Him for eternity. So the question becomes, are, are we willing to accept Jesus' invitation to relationship? Are we willing to open our hearts when we hear his voice? I'm coming to your house today. Because Zacchaeus still had to say yes. So we've got to understand that Jesus invites himself himself into our story, but we still have to welcome him into relationship. The final thought today is this. Freedom and forgiveness follow true repentance. See, freedom and forgiveness cannot happen 
unless we repent, unless we acknowledge our sin nature, unless we acknowledge the things that we're doing that are causing the heart of God to be grieved. And we struggle with it, if we're honest. Because there's a lot of things in life that we want to pursue, that we want to run after. And we tend to be those who want to clean up before we have someone over, right? You think about Zacchaeus. I want to come to your house today. If any of us was Zacchaeus, would we in the back of our our heads be going, "Uh, can you give me like 37 and a half minutes and then come over? Like maybe take the other, the long walking route? Right, we're all that way. We want to clean things up before we invite people into relationships. Feverish cleaning. We had a number of people over the other night and, and uh, you know, one of the reasons why we invite people into our homes is because it forces us to clean our house. <laughs> and so, if, you know, a few hours before, we're just, you know, doing all this and, you know, if I ever open the door to greet you and I'm sweating, it's because I love you. But nobody wants their dirty laundry, their, their clutter, or their kids' pigsty rooms visible. Yes, it's always the kids. Darn it. But it appears that Zacchaeus didn't have that kind of time. Jesus looks up in the tree, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today. And then, boom, they go. He didn't have a chance to clean up. He didn't have a chance to tidy. It says he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Not with like a, ooh. And Jesus doesn't want you to try and clean yourself up and fix yourself before he enters into relationship with you. He wants you just as you are because his redeeming power in relationship is what changes everything. God sent his son to redeem that which was lost, which was broken, which was separated from him. That's why Jesus came. And the result is truly nothing short of miraculous. We heard the story from Greg and Eve. The crowd, Luke says, is still muttering, or some translations say grumbling. They're ticked off that Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house. Like, what about me? I'm actually following the law. Some translations actually identify it as this anger and disbelief that Jesus would go to hang out with him. But Zacchaeus' response in verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times. Why four times? If he had cheated people, which he undoubtedly had, the law required him to pay back an extra 20%. So the Jewish law required that he pay back 20%. So why four times? See, when when Zacchaeus pledged To pay back four times, he was taking on the penalty of animal theft or the most egregious property theft that you could be guilty of in that day. Why did Zacchaeus give away so much more than he needed to? Because his whole life had been turned upside down by a single encounter with Jesus that he was like, no, no. I'm giving it all back and then some. We have no record of Zacchaeus saying the sinner's prayer. We have no record of Jesus kneeling down and and walking him through a, 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 a repentant prayer. But we do see a repentant heart that immediately changes his direction in life. He goes from this to this and everything changes for him. See, the freedom and forgiveness found in Jesus come when we repent and choose to follow Jesus with our whole heart. And when we engage people in relationship and we begin to share our stories, they see the power of God in our lives. They see the power of God in our repentance. They see the power of God 
and the change that's occurred. God's desire is we would not only accept Jesus' invitation to relationship, but that we would extend the same invitation to those who are searching. Searching for hope, searching for peace, searching for truth, and searching for purpose. Every one of us has been in that place, and every one of us is surrounded by those. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we pray? God, we are so thankful that you see us in our place of hopelessness, that you see us in our place of need, that you know us, that you know our hearts, you know our pursuits, you know the things that keep us from relationship with you, and yet you pursue us. You say to us in our sin, I must come to your house today because I want to be in relationship with you. Father, we thank You for that gift. We thank You for sending Your Son that we might experience life and life abundant. God, we thank You that You've not given up on us. That You've not brushed us aside. But that You chase after us with open arms saying, I love You. I desire a relationship with You. And so today we surrender our lives, we surrender our hopes and our dreams, and we say yes to your voice. And we ask, God, that you would open our eyes as we've accepted the invitation to relationship to see those who are still in need, still in need of an encounter with you, still needing to understand what it means to be truly loved. Father, we thank you that we don't have to go through this life alone, that we don't have to walk through life without purpose. But in you we find strength, we find hope, we find salvation, we find freedom. And ultimately we, we find our plan and our purpose in you. So God, speak to our hearts. Change us by the power and the presence of your Spirit. Help us to be those who lead people to you they might find hope and strength. Father, we love you and we thank you. We keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I heard somebody say the other day, we need to stop trying to Christianize everything. I thought it was an interesting statement and as I thought about it and processed more, I began to realize that we tend to see everything through the lens of Christian or non-Christian. But the reality is, that just because we slap Christian on something does not sanctify it as Christ-centered. Christian music or Christian this or Christian that. Now we need to be more about living out the mission of Jesus. Taking the mentality to seek and save the lost into every environment, every interaction, every conversation that God entrusts to us. But are we willing to embrace that? Are we willing to say yes to God's purpose for our lives? God, we say yes to you today. We invite you into every element, every moment of our lives, every moment of our days we desire to be used by you. And perhaps this morning you've not experienced true freedom. You've, you've not said yes to a life devoted to Christ. And if you were honest, you'd say, yeah, I've been chasing all my own stuff. I've been pursuing my own dreams. I've, I've, I've found myself in some really compromised places, and it's been tough. This morning, if that's you, we want you to know that you're not alone. Greg and Eve's story, my story, Gretchen's story, so many of our stories are not too dissimilar. We were going our own direction. And then God said, no, I've got bigger things for you. So if that's you today, we want you to know that you're not alone. We want you to know there's hope. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. It's that simple. Confess your need of a Savior and embrace that we need to repent and turn the other direction. So if that's you this morning, we want to say a prayer with you. 
Church, can we say this prayer together for those who are saying this prayer for the first time or for those who are recommitting their lives to Jesus today? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.